take your Bibles and turn with me to Genesis chapter 1. We're starting a new series this morning. And uh, even as I say that, that we're starting a new series, um, a little bit of an odd thing given the morning that this is. Um, I feel like I kind of need to address uh, an elephant that might be in the room as a result of saying that. It, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's usual for a church, if they're going to uh, make a decision about a lead pastor for that candidate to preach that day, What's not usual is for him to get up in the pulpit and say, we're starting a new series. Uh, Any other church, any other occasion, that would be pretty presumptuous. Like, oh, this guy's pretty confident. (laughs) Um, And so I just, (laughs) I want to just say, though, um, the reason why we're doing this, the reason why I'm preaching this morning, the reason why I've been preaching, uh, I just, I'm one of the pastors here. And so this morning, um, I'm not trying to preach like a candidate, uh, I want to preach like just one of your pastors, because next week, no matter what happens, still going to be one of your pastors. And your pastors, plural, have decided that what our church needs to be fed is Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And so I'm just here representing them, uh, being the mouthpiece, Lord willing, of God's word. And uh, for the next uh, while, we're going to be going through Genesis 1 through 11, and looking at what God's word has to say to us uh, in, these, uh, in these verses. And so, uh, look forward uh, to the opportunity to together feast on God's word in Genesis 1 to 11. Uh, what we find in Genesis 1 to 11 uh, are truths that are absolutely foundational. Foundational for everything about our lives. These are truths that are foundational for our understanding about who God is, this great God that we were just singing about. There's truths in here that are foundational for our understanding of the universe, what it is, why it exists, what our place is in it. There are truths in these chapters that are foundational for our understanding of who we are as humans, Foundational for our understanding of sin. Foundational for our understanding of the brokenness that we see in this world. And foundational for our understanding of God's great plan of redemption. And so, uh, with excitement, we get to begin a series in Genesis 1 to 11. Let's, uh, let's read together. This morning, we're just going to be focused on uh, chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to look at one verse today. Uh, one verse a week, we should be done in about 30 years, so stay tuned. Now, would you, would you look with me at chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 1, here is the word of the Lord. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Once more. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. So as we seek to understand this verse and really understand this whole 
uh, book and, and the chapters that we're going to be focused on, what's really important for our understanding is that we understand who this book was written to, who the original recipients were of the book of Genesis. Well, Genesis is part of the first five books of the Old Testament, known as the Torah or the, the Pentateuch, you might have heard. The first five books uh, of Moses, as they're also known. These were written by Moses, given to Moses by God for Israel while they were wandering in the wilderness. Israel had been redeemed out of slavery. They had been slaves in Egypt under the oppression of Egypt and this powerful nation that had held them captive for years. And God set them free miraculously by his strong arm, by his powerful hand. He set them free and now there they are in the wilderness on their own as a nation. They're discovering who they are, who they themselves as a nation are. They're rediscovering their identity not defined anymore by some other nation, not defined anymore by their status as slaves, but defined as who they are as the nation that God has called out for himself, this unique nation. And specifically, God is wanting to show Israel, as they are this young nation, who he is as their God. They came out of Egypt where there were many gods. They were used to a culture where there were many gods. And along the way in the wilderness, they interacted with other nations that had many gods. And what God wants to show Israel is that Your God, Israel, is not just one more God among many gods. Your God, specifically in Genesis 1, what we're going to see is your God, Israel, is the God who created all things. Your God is not just one other God. Your God is is not some creation of man, certainly. No, no. The God who created all things, the God who created all nations, is your God. He is the God of your nation. He is the one and only true God. And what Israel needed to know, we need to know as well. That there is only one God. Now, we may not have the same issue of Israel. We might not be tempted to to bring in other pagan gods like they would have been tempted to. Uh, But we do something similar to what Israel did. We don't have these other idols. We don't have idols of wood and silver and all these different things. No, instead what we do is we have lives that are compartmentalized, where we have a bunch of different areas in our lives, and they're all of equal value. So I've got my, my family over here. I've got my work, my career here. Got my school here. Got my hobbies here. And then I've got my my faith, my religion, God over here. And I've got all these different areas of my life, and they're they're all really important to me. And they're all about of equal weight in my life. They're all about equal value. But what happens when we lower God, the one true living creator eternal God to the same level as all these other things, what we're doing is elevating all these other things to the place of God. We may not have one God among many, but we have God as just one 
area of our life among many areas of our life. And so as we come to Genesis and we see the power of God, the nature of God, his amazing majesty as the creator, what Moses is going to do for us, what this passage is going to do for us, is reorient our lives around reality. To take our priorities and put them in their proper place so that we no longer think of God as just one area among many areas of our life so that we don't treat the one true God as one God among many, but we recognize God in his rightful place as the eternal God, the creator of heavens and the earth, the one who is worthy of all things, the one who has all things, the only one who is worthy of our lives, our love, our attention, our worship, our focus. There is only one God. And what we're going to see in this verse this morning are two essential truths about the one true God. That God is eternal and that God is creator. God is eternal and God is creator. So look with me again at verse 1. The first word of the Bible, the first thing that God wants to reveal to us, in the beginning. In the beginning. The first thing we need to recognize as we look at the fact that God's eternal, we're going to see this unfold, and the first thing we need to recognize is that there was a beginning. The Bible starts in the beginning. Where else would it start? In the beginning. There was a beginning. But, but a beginning of what? The beginning of what? Well, the verse tells us. The heavens and the earth. Or in other words, everything. It's the beginning of people, animals. The beginning of birds and fish. The beginning of water and land. The beginning of light and darkness. The beginning of cells, atoms, molecules. The beginning of hydrogen and oxygen and helium. The beginning of time and space. The beginning of galaxies. The beginning of matter. The beginning of all created things. We need to see that this verse, this phrase in the beginning shows us that the universe is not eternal. There was a beginning, which means there was a time when matter did not exist. Matter has not always existed. The universe is not eternal. There was a beginning. And if there was a beginning to all of those things, then they must have begun, which means they must have had a beginner. The fact that all things had a beginning means that they must have had a beginner. Someone must have begun them. There was a beginning, so there is a beginner. What we have to see as we look at these first few words of the Bible, in the beginning, God, 
we must recognize this is not the beginning of God. It's the beginning of literally everything except for God. God is eternal. He has always existed. There is creator and there is creation. Creation had a beginning. Creation was made. Creation at one time was not. And God, the eternal creator, who is himself not created, created all other things. He has been called the the uncaused cause of everything else. He is the uncaused cause of everything else. Psalm 90 and verse 2, the psalmist praises God because he says, From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. From all of eternity past and into all of eternity future, you are God. God stands alone as the eternal God, the one who has always existed, who has no beginning. So what was it like before the beginning? God must have existed before the beginning. So what was that like? Well, this verse may raise that question, but in and of itself, it doesn't answer it for us. But there's a verse that sounds a whole lot like this verse that starts to get us to an answer. Would you turn with me to John chapter 1, verse 1? There are many many things about God before the beginning that we will never understand, that God has not revealed to us. But there are some things that he has revealed to us that shed a lot of light on this first verse of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So John chapter 1 starts very similarly to Genesis chapter 1. John writes... In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So what John records is not the beginning of the Word any more than Moses was writing the beginning of God. No, what John reveals is that the Word who was God was with God in the beginning. What we see here is that God alone was in the beginning, but God himself, in himself, was not alone. Because as this verse indicates, and as all of scripture reveals, the one true God who made all things is one God in three persons. John reveals here the Father and the Son, the Word being the Son who became flesh in the person of Jesus Christ. And all of Scripture, as we look at the revelation of God in Scripture, reveals that there is one God in three persons. The Father was not alone in the beginning. The Son was not alone in the beginning. The Holy Spirit was not alone. In the beginning, God, the one and only true God, existed in community for all of eternity past. 
Well, what was it like between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit before the beginning of all created things? Well, if you're still in John 1, flip a few pages ahead to John 17. John 17 records one of the most remarkable things in the Bible. We see a prayer between two persons of the Trinity. (laughs) Jesus, the, the Word made flesh, God in human flesh, God the Son, prays to his Father. And John lets us in on it. He lets us in on what Jesus prayed to his Father. And as we look at this prayer, we can see a little bit of a glimpse of what it was like in eternity past when only God existed. Look at verses 1 through 5. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now catch this in verse 5. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Before the world existed, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit existed in glory. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit delighted in the majesty and the beauty before them. There was a glory of giving, of beholding, of enjoying, of delighting. For all of eternity, God dwelt in glory. And look down at verse 24. Jesus prays, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Before creation, what was it like? The Father was loving the Son. The Father was giving to the Son. He was showing love to Him. Within the relationship of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, there was glory and beauty and love. There was all-satisfying life, community, giving to one another, sharing with one another, out of the infinite storehouses of all of who God was. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit enjoyed one another for all of eternity. God in and of himself was full of love. God in and of himself was satisfied. He existed in glory. So what we need to see here 
There was a beginning. There is a beginner. But given what we've seen about who this beginner is and who he was for all of eternity before the beginning, we need to recognize there didn't have to be a beginning. There didn't have to be a beginning. God did not create because he needed something. God was fully God without creating. He did not need to create. God is self-sufficient, which means he has everything he needs in and of himself. So God did not create because he was lonely. No, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit existed in perfect love for all of eternity. God was not lonely. He did not create the universe in order to have some company. He didn't need it. The Bible reveals to us that God is love. Well, he did not need creation in order to be love. Now, in order to love, you have to have someone to love. But God existed in love in and of himself for all of eternity. The Father loved the Son. The Son loved the Father. The Holy Spirit loved both. They lived in perfect love for all of eternity. God did not need to create. There didn't have to be a beginning. As Paul spoke uh, in Athens in Acts chapter 17, he spoke about this reality of who God is. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. God needed nothing. Which means he doesn't need you and me. Israel, as they received this in the wilderness, needed to realize God doesn't need them. The creator of all things, the eternal God who is self-sufficient, who existed in perfect love and community and all-satisfying life for all of eternity, doesn't need them. As they are finding out who they are as a nation, one of the things that God keeps telling them is they are God's chosen people. And that's true. And they needed to know God chose them. But Even as they heard that, God wanted to make it clear to them, I didn't choose you because I needed you. I didn't choose you because of how great you are. In Deuteronomy, another one of these first five books that God gave in the wilderness, in Deuteronomy chapter 7, in verse 7, God says to Israel, It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you and chose you. For you were the fewest of all peoples. So yes, you are God's chosen people, but it's not because of how great you are. God doesn't need you. And we, as we start right here at the beginning, recognizing who God is, who he has been for all of eternity, we need to allow ourselves to be humbled by the fact that God does not need us. He does not need us to be God We have nothing that we can add to him. We have nothing 
that he needs. We have nothing that's going to impress him. He doesn't need us. He also doesn't need us to do what he is going to do. You know, it's, it's tempting for us, as people start to depend on us, to, to start thinking that we're the ones that everyone needs and not God. It's tempting to, to find our worth in being needed by others. The more people that are dependent on you, the more people are reliant on you, the more you give to others, the more bills you pay, the more, uh, the more you share with others, the more you give to others, the more counsel you give. It's easy for us to start to think, yeah, I'm, I'm needed. I am, man, if it wasn't for me, where would this person be? If it wasn't for me, what could God have done? And we need to recognize that God does not need us. God will do what he wants to do with or without us. And this is a timely reminder on this day for me. Here as we think about, as a church, this decision about a lead pastor role, I need to hear from God's word that God does not need me. You do not need me. Rocky Point Baptist Church does not need me. God doesn't need me in the role of lead pastor. God doesn't need me in the role I'm currently in. God doesn't need me in any role at all. We're all dispensable. And even as we think about the decision before us today, we need to set our eyes not on a person, not on a role, but on the God who has everything we need. The God who deserves all glory. The God who began all things. The God who has all things, who deserves all things, who is worthy. And those of us who are tempted to, uh, to think of ourselves as indispensable, those of us who are tempted to find our worth in being needed by other people, we need to spend less time trying to convince the world that we're indispensable, and we need to spend more time pointing people to the God that they truly need. More time pointing people to the God that they truly are dependent upon. The God who truly actually has what they need. So that we might get eyes off of ourselves and on to the God who created all things. The, the sad irony of this truth that God doesn't need us is that we often act as if we don't need God. How backwards and upside down is that? But we do. We act as if we don't need who God is. We don't need what he says. We don't need to know about what he has done or what he wants. But the truth is you need God. You desperately need God. And as we read a moment ago from Acts 17, 25, you need to know that he has everything that you need. So turn to this God. Look to this God. He is the one that you need. You would not exist if it were not for him. And that leads us to the second 
essential truth about this one true God. He is creator. God is eternal, and God is creator. Look at verse 1 of Genesis chapter 1 once more. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, again, all things that are not God, everything that exists except for God was created by God who has always existed. This word created is unique uh, in the Hebrew Bible. This word created is only ever used of God. Humans can make, design, build, but only God creates. Because we, when, even when we say we create, we create much differently than God creates. When we create, we're really just taking matter that already exists and we're just reorganizing it. But when God creates, there was nothing and then there was something. God creates something out of nothing. He has the power to make things exist. As Romans 4, 17 says, he calls things into existence that did not exist. So we have to ask, given the fact that we've already seen, okay, God doesn't need us, God doesn't need the universe, he didn't need to create, he didn't have to do it, but he did, so why? He didn't have to. So why did God create? Well, we get one answer, or the start of an answer, in Isaiah 43, and verses 6 and 7. God says in that passage, I will say to the north, give up, and to the south, do not withhold. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the end of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. Man, woman, all of creation was created for God's glory. Or we saw a few weeks ago as we looked at Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11, as the beings in heaven worship God the Father on his throne, they say in Revelation 4, 11, Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things. And by your will, they existed and were created. God created all things for his glory. But, we already established, God didn't need glory. John 17 already told us that God existed in perfect glory for all of eternity. So he did create for his glory, but it wasn't glory that he needed he didn't receive glory that he didn't already have. So why then did he create? If he didn't need anything, if there was nothing that he was going to receive from creation, why did he create? Well, the answer was right there in Revelation 4:11. By your will they existed and were created. This is a simple truth, but it is incredibly profound. So don't 
let the simplicity of what I'm about to say cause you to miss how significant this is. God created the heavens and the earth because he wanted to. He didn't have to. He wasn't lonely. He didn't need anything. He wanted to. But why? (laughs) Why does he want to? He doesn't receive anything. He doesn't get anything out of it. Why would he do it? Well, he doesn't do it to receive. He doesn't do it to get something out of it. No. The amazing thing about creation is in creation, God chose to create in order not to receive, but to give. Can you believe that? That God would choose to give life to people who didn't deserve to exist. That God would give life to a universe that was not necessary. That God would take what he has enjoyed for all of eternity in and of himself and that he would share it. That he would take the life that has always existed in and of himself and he would give it to beings that do not deserve to exist. That are not necessary, that do not add anything to him. Yet, in his generosity, he has given life to the heavens and the earth. He has given existence to things that did not exist as a free gift from God. How amazing is it that we exist at all? That God would choose to give us life. He gave the gift of life to a universe that was not necessary. What do you call that? Grace. In fact, My favorite uh, sermon series title for a series on Genesis is In the Beginning, Grace. I decided not to steal that, but anyway. God gave the gift of life to a world that was not necessary. He gave from his grace. And although it was not necessary, it makes all the sense in the world when you think about who God has always been for all of eternity. For all of eternity, God has been giving life. The Father giving life to the Son. I mean, that's what it means to be a father and a son, to give life. God has been giving life and love and glory and sharing in and of himself for all of eternity. So it only makes sense that this God, who is giving by his very nature, would give by creating creation. In creation, God has given life to a world out of love. It's a tremendous gift of God. It's who he is. By nature, he is a sharing God, a giving God, a life-giving God, a loving God. And this God, who gave life to creation out of sheer love, is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Before the beginning, God was loving and giving life. In creation, he created as an act of love, as an act of giving And this same God loved the world 
by giving his son. So that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. Before the beginning, God was loving and giving. In creation, as an act of love, God gave. And all of that was just foreshadowing. The greatest act of love. The greatest act of giving and sharing and life-giving that God ever did. As he looked on a world that rejected its creator. He looked on a world that said, God, I don't need you. He looked on a world that was destined for death destined to perish and the same God who generously lovingly gave life to the universe to begin with generously gave his son the son that he had enjoyed and loved for all of eternity the son that glorified him for all of eternity the son that he perfectly loved with all of his heart he gave to a world that did not deserve him He gave the opportunity for eternal life to anyone who would receive him. Because that's who God is. It's who he has always been. He is a generous God, a loving God, a self-giving God who loved the world by giving of himself so that you would not perish, so that you would not die. We do need to recognize that God does not need us. But mystery of mysteries, God in his unthinkable love wants you. He wants to give you life. He wants to give you love. He wants to bring you to himself so you can enjoy him forever. And the God that you need, the God without whom you would not exist, the God who has everything you need, delights to give of himself, delights to give. And so, Plead with you today. Turn to Jesus. Turn to Jesus. We have all rejected our Creator. We have all looked at the, the God who didn't need us, yet chose to create us anyway, and said, God, I don't need you. I've got this on my own. I can create a life for myself. I can call the shots for myself. I don't need you. For that, we deserve death, not life. We deserve to perish. We don't deserve love. And yet God has done the unthinkable. He has given love to us. He sent his son to be the substitute and take the penalty that you deserve for your sin, for your rejection of the creator. So that he could reconcile you to himself. So that you wouldn't have to receive what you deserve that you could receive the gift of God's love forever and ever and ever that you do not deserve. And it can be yours. God has given it. 
if you would just receive it. Would you receive it today? Would you receive his gift of life? The Bible says that to receive that gift of life, all we have to do is place our faith in Jesus. Would you turn to Jesus and receive God's incredible gift of love and life this morning? One last point of application on this. As we recognize that God, the eternal God, the creator God, is a eternally loving and giving and sharing God, we need to recognize that the people of God should be a giving and loving and sharing people. Uh, This has always been the case. This was the case for God's people here at the very beginning in Genesis chapter 12 as God created the nation of Israel in the person of Abraham. He said, I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. This nation that he was going to make out of Abraham, the people of God, were to exist to share God's love, to share God's blessing with all other nations. And the same is true today for the people of God that was true then. In 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter writes, You Christians, you church, are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. As the people of a giving, loving, sharing, generous God, may we be giving, loving, sharing people. This is the God who existed in love and generosity for all of eternity. And that love and giving and sharing overflowed. It spilt over into creation as he extended. He wanted more people to know his love. More people to know his life. More people to experience the sharing, the generosity of this glorious God. And as people who have been called to God, as those who have been reconciled to this God, we get to enjoy him, know his glory, know his love, know how much he has shared with us. We talked this morning with the students in Ephesians 1 about all the spiritual riches that are ours in Christ. And we need to know, there is no bottom to that tank. These are riches. This is wealth that has been shared with us And that can be shared over and over and over and over and over and over for all of eternity. And it will never run out. So may we be a generous people. May we share the love of God with people who have not yet tasted it. Would we share the life of God? Would we share the good news of the gospel? That people can know this God. That this is a generous God who freely offers himself to all who would receive him. If we are to be the people of this God who by his nature for all of eternity has been giving and sharing and loving, may we delight to share him with others. May we delight to extend his love to more and more and more people. If we have tasted and seen that the Lord is good, may we declare his excellencies, the one who has called us out of dark and into light. May nothing else come close 
to this God in our life. May no other area, no other God, nothing else come close to the level of this God in our life. He is the only one that we need. He is the one who created us, and he is the one who has saved us. He is the one we will enjoy for all of eternity. And so may our lives be wrapped around him and his will and his love and his purpose for his glory. Let's pray together. God, for all of eternity, you dwelt in love and sharing and giving and glory. And Lord, we can't even fathom the generosity that you have shown us by giving to us, by giving us life, by giving us existence. And Lord, as if that weren't enough, when we rejected you and turned away from you, you still kept giving, you still kept loving. And you have loved us most of all by giving your son. Lord, may we give you glory, not because you need it, but because we delight in you, because we have been loved by you, because we are astounded at your generosity to us. God, we love you and praise you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.